Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Gyroplane Flying Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Gyroplane Flying, where we discuss everything gyroplanes. This podcast was published on March 13, 2021. This is Joe Cavelli, your host and also president and owner at Air Command Gyroplanes and Skywheel Rotorblade Systems. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. Lisa Turner has been involved in aviation since 2006. She has done work as an FAA-designated airworthiness representative, also referred to as a DAR, home-built counselor, A&P, and authored a few books. If you are an EAA member, you also know she writes a monthly column for the Spirit of Aviation magazine. Lisa's passion for aviation is real and igniting. She's passionate about home-built aircraft. In this podcast, Lisa shares with us the top five mistakes that experimental builders make and how to avoid them. I know you'll find this discussion informative and helpful. My discussion with Lisa Turner starts after this brief message. Air Command has recently updated its manufacturer-suggested 12-month condition inspection guide for all owners of its gyroplane rotorcraft models. According to the FAA, no person shall operate an experimental aircraft unless within the preceding 12 months it has had a condition inspection performed in accordance with the scope and detail of Appendix D of FAR Part 43. The inspection needs to be recorded in the aircraft maintenance records. Who can perform the inspection? A licensed AMP, an FAA-approved repair station, or by the builder of the gyroplane, provided they obtain a repairman's certificate. Download the Air Command 12-month inspection guide at our website, aircommand.com. You can easily find the document under the gyroplanes tab, then look for the webpage, Bulletins, Forms, and Manuals. You'll find the guide under the Forms heading. You can also email us at connect at aircommand.com and we'll gladly email you the 13-page document. Remember, a gyroplane is only as safe as the pilots who fly them, and that begins with regular inspections and proper maintenance. You're listening to the Gyroplane Flying Podcast. And now, back to the program. Welcome to Gyroplane Flying. This is Joe Cavelli. I'm pleased to be joined today by Lisa Turner. Lisa is a designated airworthiness representative, a counselor, and an AMP. We're going to be talking in a few minutes about the top five mistakes that experimental builders make and how to avoid them. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thanks, Joe. I am absolutely honored to be here. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to have you join us. I happened to read the article that you wrote in EAA Sport Aviation Magazine about this very topic, and I thought, wow, let's bring this to life, get into the details, have a chance to meet with you, 
and hear from you firsthand about the tips that you're offering to folks. We, of course, want to provide for a safe building experience with any home-built aircraft. Of course, an experimental gyroplane fits into that with the builder required to build 51% of our Air Command product. What is the inspiration of flight? How did you get involved in this? I love that question, and but I, I do have to say that, Joe, what you're doing in your work is inspirational because I'll tell you, when I was a child, I kept having a recurring dream, and the listeners, I think most of them listening to this are going to identify with this, but it was a recurring dream where I would go into the backyard and I would put my arms out and I would lift off, and I'd fly around the neighborhood and, you know, look at things and say, this is fantastic. And when I got older, I said, how do I do that? <laughs> how do I figure out how to get in the air? You know, so obviously I need some mechanical help. And I, I remember going into the garage and hooking the, the self-propelled lawnmower up to my little red wagon. Now, I wasn't intending, I thinking I was going to get into the air, but just the transportation factor was so exciting. I went flying down the street in my red wagon behind this lawnmower. And, you know, back then, they didn't have any safety devices on the lawnmowers. So, the, you know, the blades are going and the debris is flying everywhere and, the neighbor runs out and he goes, oh, no, you can't do that. And it was it was no fun at all. He ran out and he turned off the lawnmower and I, and I got in trouble. But those are some of the things I was trying to figure out. How do I get in the air? And then, you know, sometimes life interrupts. I had to go through school and get a job and do a lot of things before I could fly again. But then somewhat late in life in my 40s, I got my private pilot. So, you know, for those of you listening to this, there is life after 20, and there are lots of different things that you can do for the rest of your life, and uh, one of them is, is the joy of flight. So based on my dream, I kept trying to figure out how I would get in the air, and I looked at Kit Planes magazine, and of course, on the front, there's this beautiful little airplane called a Pulsar. And it was small. People don't realize how small the Pulsar was. And for a six-foot guy to get in it, it was like, I say it was like the Mazda Miata of the sky. It was just a perfect size for me. So I started building the Pulsar. And every night when I go to sleep, I would think about what it was going to feel like to make my first flight in this aircraft. You know, at the time, I had very little mechanical knowledge. I had a bicycle shop that I started, so I had that, and I was working on cars. I didn't know very much, and back then the kits were not what they are today. It was fairly complex. But the point of this story is when I took off in the Pulsar, it's exactly what the dream was. And I just dreamt it over and over again, and here I was in a, a tiny aircraft in the air. So for those of you who have done that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who haven't yet, it is an incredible feeling to take off 
in your own airplane, no matter what kind of airplane it is. But the excitement of a very small aircraft is just amazing. It's like being a bird. So we there's just nothing like it. That led into, I had to write about this experience. So I ended up putting a book together called Dream Take Flight. And it's all the adventures, starting when I was a kid with the red wagon, all the adventures that led up to the building of the Pulsar and then big cross-country adventure. So those of you who are interested, Dream Take Flight is on Amazon, and it's uh, a few dollars on the uh, Kindle, and then, but it's also in a paperback. There's an audio book, which if listeners send an email to lisa at lisaturner.com, I'll send you a free audio code member of Audible, the Amazon. But my website is dreamtakeflight.com, so pretty easy to remember, and you can go there. I've written some other books, too, but that really was the centerpiece. Thanks very much, Lisa, for sharing that with us. That's interesting, and I find that everyone has a story about how they were interested in aviation and how those aviations just continue to build and or aviation became a part of their life in one way, and they had little glimpses here and there, and ultimately they decided to go for it because they felt it was the right thing to do. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us. So through your experiences, you wrote a presentation, the top five mistakes that experimental builders make and how to avoid them. I had a chance to go through it here ahead of time before our podcast and found it very interesting. Of course, we want to provide a goal to improve the safety record as well as the confidence factor that home builders have. So we really look forward to your discussion on avoiding these top five mistakes. First, I have to say, all my experience as DAR, which is Designated Airworthiness Representative, that's a person for the FAA who goes and awards airworthiness certificates to home-built projects, but also more time with technical counselor duties. With all the projects that I've gone to visit, a lot of you have, have read Vic Syracuse, and he's fantastic. You know, he just sees everything. But sometimes when I read what he's he's writing it's it, i almost think oh my gosh everybody's getting this wrong and it's that's not the case in general you would think that home built accidents i've got to be you know just because people everybody thinks we're crazy so, oh i'm building a gyro or i'm building an airplane or i'm building a helicopter and people look at us like we're crazy and that's kind of like a little badge of honor but but we're not if you look at the accident rate for experimental amateur built. And a guy named Ron Wontaja has put together some statistics in Kit Plains magazine talking about the rate of accidents. And so you would think it's just really crazy. It's not. One of the interesting things is if, if you look at the rate of accidents for, say, a Cessna 150 or 152, a lot of us got our ticket in that, and then you look at the rate of accidents for experimental amateur belt, amateur belt isn't even twice as much. So it's really a myth that it's off the scale. It's not off the scale. Is it higher? Yes, it's higher. But it's not crazy. And the other thing that I found when I went to visit these projects was that the workmanship and the thoroughness were really good. The majority of the projects, the majority of the builders, they did a really good job 
and they were very attentive. So as I go through some of these problems in terms of building, don't think this is the norm out there. These are the exceptions. But in every case, if we can improve our rate with those exceptions, then we're going to make flying safer. And if we do that, people won't look at us like we're crazy all the time when we say we're building an airplane because everybody thinks it's unsafe. And it's not. It's not. Going to your local grocery store, you're probably uh, more risk in the parking lot getting hit by somebody than you are to have a serious aircraft accident. But that said, let's not have the aircraft accidents. So if you look at the statistics, what you see is, of course, we know that pilot error is at the top. So let's just for a minute uh, put pilot error aside and say, let's look at maintenance errors and builder errors. And if you look at that, you're going to find that they're actually about the same. They're a fairly high rate, and they, but they all revolve around the same things. So the fuel system tends to be the highest. So that's one of the first things that we want to pay attention to. Uh, not following instructions is another one, and I'll talk about that. And then hardware, electrical systems, and not having a test plan follow those. So those are really the biggies. I'm going to start with not following instructions. And this sounds a little bit crazy, but there are some of us who, when we assemble something, the first thing we do is we take the manual and we throw it off to the side. And so there's a fundamental difference between how people are treating the information. So if, if you're a person that never does that and you love to read the manual, then I I wouldn't worry about this particular section because you know how important the instructions are. You know, it's that situation where you build something and then you have a bunch of parts built, you know, left over, and you go, oh, I wonder where these go. Here's the thing. What you want to do is you're going to find yourself with missing parts and checklist in inconsistencies. You're going to see that you have weight and balance discrepancies, and you're going to have missing documentation. If you can not do these things, then you're automatically going to be, the build is going to be easier, and you're going to end up being safer. So you avoid the not following instructions mistakes by putting together your builder's log at the beginning. Now, when I say builder's log, I don't just mean pictures and, gee, on this day I did that but putting all of your information together because when you start flying, it'll be really convenient for you to have all of your maintenance information and all of your uh, airworthiness documentation and the specifications that you got with the kit and all these things. Put them in one uh, set of notebooks. It's going to take a little time at the beginning, but it will pay off later. You want to organize all of it and have it at hand during your build. Um, you can organize your shop based on some of this, you know, do your inventory, and this will really make a big, big difference. So back to fuel systems. I said that's the number one thing. 
And it's the number one thing for a variety of reasons, but here are the top ones. The wrong materials, fuel line can be one of those. Nowadays, when you buy a kit, the manufacturer is going to tell you what you should use. And you really need to go ahead and follow those instructions. Don't deviate. Because if you use the wrong thing, then later you could have a leak or a split or another problem. Your engine's going to quit. So that's important. Now, you have a fuel selector. If it's just on and off, even if it's just on and off, don't buy something cheap. Now, again, this may come with the kit. If it does, great. Don't substitute anything else. But I've seen builders skimp on some of these materials. And then, you know, some of you may recall an accident. John Denver died in an aircraft where the, the builder had put the fuel selector behind the pilot's head, and uh, there was a, a set of vice grips on it. That's how hard it was to turn. Just bought the airplane. He wasn't familiar with it, and he couldn't switch tanks. So just wasn't a good place to put the fuel selector. Obviously, it wasn't a good fuel selector either. The other problem that I see is that the wrong fuel filter is used, and it's okay to use the smaller, clear filters, but you need to check them all the time. Now, how do you think I found that out? I found it out because I almost lost the engine on a cross-country because I didn't check it, and it was a fiberglass airplane, so there was a lot of gunk in the filter. So you need to be careful. I wouldn't use the paper fuel filter that you use for your tractor. But again, you'll have a recommendation from the manufacturer. Absolutely, you need to follow it. And then the biggie is auto fuel. I've got an article that's coming out in April, Sport Aviation, and I talk about uh, auto fuel and the problems that it can cause if you don't get premium fuel, high-grade fuel that hasn't been sitting. And uh, the ethanol question, you know, that's an alcohol, and alcohol causes evaporation. Many of the two-stroke engines, they're wonderful engines. But they are susceptible to quitting if the fuel has been sitting too long and you're not, you haven't been paying attention to the gum and varnish that can build up. That's a pretty common sense thing, but I still would see it a lot. So I don't recommend ethanol in the fuel. And even if the engine manufacturer says, oh, like Rotax says, 10% is fine. And in my book, that is, that's a no-no. I would... I would test the gas, and I would not. I would buy from somebody where you can get a supply without any ethanol. It's just going to be so much better. It's better for your car. Again, remember that's my opinion, but based on that, you'll you'll uh, eliminate a lot of problems if you can eliminate the problems around fuel systems. Okay, so the next thing is hardware. I've seen issues with all kinds of things. With your kit, they actually give you all the hardware, then you are in really good luck. And if they specify what you should be using. But there's a book out there that you can get online as a PDF, and it's called AC4313, and it is all of the regulations that the FAA says planes should meet. And that's a great, fat Bible for us to all use no matter what we're flying. It will tell you what kinds of bolts to use 
if the bolt is designed to rotate, you should have a castellated nut and cotter pin, and all of that is covered in the book. So I've seen uh, things fall off of airplanes because they weren't secured. I recommend using Torque Seal. Uh, don't confuse that with Thread Locker, right? It's They both are colorful, but Torque Seal is just a, a kind of a silicone rubber stuff that you can put on a nut that will show you if it has loosened. Really handy. Electrical systems, I see issues, and that includes wrong wire sizes, uh, the wrong wire types, the crimps aren't done well and they come apart, harnesses aren't secured, because you know in our airplanes we have a lot of vibration, and then stray grounds. So if you have a radio in your aircraft, you don't want a lot of noise around that. Some builders say, oh, yeah, well, I need to ground everything, and they do. They ground everything, and then you get these ground loop things that causes noise. So you need to follow the instructions carefully, and hopefully in the kit you've got the manufacturer will tell you what you should be using. And in, in many instances, you can get a harness supplied by the kit manufacturer. In the 90s, when I was building the Pulsar, that was not the case. The builders were expected to put all that together. And I ended up doing that just because I had electrical engineering background, and I enjoyed it. But if that's not your thing, then pay somebody else to put the harness together, unless, of course, the kit supplies a harness, which is great, too. That's one way to get around some of the electrical system problems that you can have. Finally, the last thing that I see a lot is that the builders, you know, we get really excited when we get to the end of our project. And you should be. And you're dreaming about it and you're saying, this is, this is what it's going to feel like when I take off. And what happens is do a, some taxi testing and we're just so excited we ended up taking off. <laughs> you want to try to not do that. So don't let that excitement cause a premature flight. You need to be ready for the flight. So you do that by having a test plan. And the resources that the EAA has now are phenomenal. Just a couple of years ago, the EAA put together a book. It's an actual flight test book. It's a flight test manual, and it's like it's 15 bucks. It's well worth it. And it takes you through all of the things that you should be doing before you make your first flight. Now, the manufacturer often has instructions as well. The, uh, the, the Pulsar had instructions, uh, but they were skimpy. So you want to slow down. This is a time to not speed up. Slow down. Figure out what the timing is going to be for your first flight and the things that you need to do around it. And that's checking the airplane, checking yourself, and don't think that you have to make your first flight. You can have somebody else make the first flight in your aircraft. Later on, no one's going to say, well, I hope you made the first flight. No one's going to say that to you. They're going to pat you on the back 
for being a smart builder and a smart flyer. So those are the biggest things that, that I've seen around building. And again, most of the experience that I've had is the, the build quality is outstanding. The one last thing that I want to say to our listeners is a certain level of experience in something. There's this curve. Researchers came up with this theory about experience and actually your confidence level around it. And when you first start to learn something, you have lots of excitement. And just an example is, let's say you make your solo in in an airplane for the first time, and you're so excited about it, and then you make a couple more flights, and you say, I know how to do it. This is good. This is great. And so your your confidence is is high, but your experience is low, but you're really excited. Well, then what happens is you start learning more about flight, and you go, oh, wow, well, I, need, I should get my, you know, IFR. And all of a sudden, the confidence falls, but your experience is starting to go back up. So at that beginning point, that's where, you know, you've heard this expression, you don't know what you don't know. That's where we are, and that's what you have to be careful with when you're building an airplane. You don't know what you don't know. So slow down. What will happen is the experience curve will catch up with your confidence and becoming an expert, and then you finally end up in a place where you have high confidence and you have high knowledge. So don't get discouraged. Just realize there's a most of the the projects out there people are doing a fantastic job well thank you very much lisa for running through that those are excellent points tidbits and tips one thing that i wanted to mention is that air command recently published a guide for completing a 12-month condition inspection and it's posted on our website we want to support our builders and owners of our products through that and then lisa the other thing that we recently did is we started a community forum forum is for Skywheel and Air Command owners and builders, as well as CFIs and AMPs and DARs to help our community and guide them through the various questions they may have as they're either completing a build, doing an upgrade, or maybe they purchased a used gyroplane and just basically tore it apart and are rebuilding it. I just wanted to make sure we shared that with our audience on how we're looking to support the building community with our products. How long have you been a DAR working with builders? 2006. Oh, so quite like quite some time. 15 years at EAA with tech counselor stuff. And then I did go on to build a Kolb Mark III. It was interesting because it was the same engine, the Rotax 912, that the Pulsar had, but a completely different configuration, of course, high wing pusher with very different flying characteristics. And then I built half of a rotorway helicopter. And I say half because said earlier, sometimes life happens and, you know, we're family circumstances. I ended up getting laid off. I couldn't afford to finish the helicopter, and it was a little sad. I know there's a gyro or a helicopter in my future somewhere. I think you'd enjoy (laughs) it a lot, so we'll have to keep in touch on that. Lisa, I wanted to ask you, based on your experience and just wealth of knowledge, 
I know we went through the top five mistakes, but are there other things that you wanted to bring out in our discussion today just as pointers that people should be aware of? Big thing that is a problem for builders, I think, is that you slow down and you you get discouraged because it's easy to happen because you've got so many things that have to come together. So I would say persevere and then the other piece of this is kind of a time management piece where I say to people, when you start your project out, take some notebooks out and say, how exactly am I going to do this? Because, you know, most of us tend to underestimate how long something's going to take. Actually, I wrote a little tiny book. It's called Your Simplest Life. What it's about is that we do underestimate how long something's going to take. If you say, okay, I think project's going to be 800 hours. Well, why don't you double that? And then if for a specific task you think it's going to take an hour, double it to two. And then at an hour and a half when you finish it, you'll say, wow, (laughs) I got it done. So there's some psychology to this. So I say to builders, map out what you've got to get done and be nice to yourself. Be generous to yourself. Rather than trying to jam all these things in, why don't you do half of them and then feel good at the end of the day? Because we all know, you know, you start a project and in the middle of it, you say, oh, no, I'm missing something. And you have to run to the store and get it and then you start again and then you're disappointed in yourself. Well, why not start a project out saying, you know, I don't know what could happen here. And then, you know, it's kind of like Murphy's Law. Say, well, I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm going to plan for it. And then when it doesn't happen, then I've got this extra time. No, that sounds a little crazy, and it kind of goes against the grain, but that's sort of what this book is about, Your Simplest Life. It really does work because the detractors who say, well, yeah, but why not try to jam all this stuff in and get a bunch of stuff done? Well, because psychologically you're going to feel pressured and feel like you can you're never going to get it done map it out on paper and be very generous and say okay if you think installing the rudder is going to be a 15-hour project make, make it make it 20 or 25 and then if you so if you're done at 18 hours cross it off and you're done it's just it's a psychological thing and it seems like it works really well for the projects that I visited people seem to be very successful with it. One thing that builders are offered is to apply for a repairman certification, building their own gyroplane that provides them an option through the FAA so they can do maintenance on their aircraft going forward. What are your thoughts around that and supporting the repairman certificate? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Definitely get the repairman certificate. And the reason is it's very easy to do. You just you need to go back to the FAA, show them your log, and they give you the certificate. Now, it's just for that one aircraft, which is fine. But it means if you're never going to do a condition inspection, so what? But if you decide you want to, you've got the certificate. Excellent point. I get asked uh, ever so often, most builders, I think, are really in support of doing that. They want to do it because they put the time in on building the aircraft 
and to do the maintenance and inspections are just a natural thing as well. Lisa, I wanted to ask you, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we conclude the podcast? The joy of flight is really expressed through small aircraft. You know, my husband restores antique aircraft, and his favorite aircraft is a Stearman or a Waco UPF-7. And I say to him, you know, those are really, there's nothing wrong with them, but they're big, lumbering aircraft that, you know, when you got a, you've got a taxi back and forth because you can't see out, and yes, you have the, the wind in your hair and bugs in your teeth, and that's great, but why not get in the air in something light and small with fantastic visibility and fantastic safety. I am uh, very biased, <laughs> and it's good for different people to do different things. The antiques aren't my thing. The gyrocopters and helicopters and smaller craft is, I think that's where it's at. Excellent points, of course, Lisa. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas and wisdom and, of course, going through the top five mistakes that experimental builders make and how to avoid them. We appreciate your time. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Gyroplane Flying, where we discuss everything gyroplanes. The podcast is produced by Air Command International LLC and Skywells LLC. Even though both companies are represented in the program, they are separate and distinct entities. Please share comments and suggested topics with us using the Contact Us webpage at aircommand.com. You can listen to all previous podcasts at gyroplaneflying.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.